Today we're going to talk about something so wonderful that some folks find it too hard to believe. It's a little bit like what happened in Abyssinia, now called Ethiopia, many, many years ago. There was a local congregation like this church and there was a great conference going on in America, a general conference that happened every four or five years. And so the local church got together and they selected delegates to go to America. These folks had never been out of Abyssinia in their lives. When they got to America, their eyes almost popped out. And when they came back to Abyssinia, the church folks there called a big Saturday night meeting so they could hear the stories. And one delegate got up and he said, America is wonderful. He said, but they do things differently to us. He said, they don't just build one hut by itself. They put one hut up against another hut. And another hut up against that hut. Many huts all together. One of the wise old elders of the church got up and said, that couldn't be so. Because if one hut caught on fire, all the rest would catch on fire. The Americans may be silly, but they wouldn't do that. And then another younger man got up and he said, but the Americans do other things besides that. Not only do they put one hut up against another hut, they put one hut on top of another hut. And then they put a hut on top of that hut. Many huts on top of each other. That broke up the meeting. And another elder got up and said, that is absolutely absurd because it's impossible. How would you get from the bottom hut to the top hut? And a third delegate got up and he said, well, they've got another little hut that runs up and down and takes you there. <laughs> that church council in Abyssinia that night moved a resolution that in future when they sent delegates to the general conference, they would choose people who didn't tell lies. I want to tell you, there are some things that our God can do that you and I can't understand. And just because we can't understand it, it doesn't mean that it isn't so. Today, I'm going to talk on the great subject, what and where is heaven? Is there going to be an afterlife? Now, before we talk about that, we should spend a few moments talking about the origin of man. It is believed today by millions and millions of people that man is the product of time plus matter plus chance. Therefore, we are simply cosmic accidents. My friend, if that is true, then there is no heaven. If that is so, if we arrived on this, this earth through a chance process, we are going to exit this earth also by a chance process. But if man is distinct and glorious and made in the image of God by a marvelous Father God, then my friend, there is going to be a heaven. The other night, I looked at a movie which is quite famous in certain circles. I didn't watch it all, but I watched some of it. It's called 
the meaning of life. And it stars that very, very funny, funny Englishman, John Cleese. He's also the person who stars in the British comedy series, Faulty Towers. In that series, he's called Mr. Faulty. But this program is put out by the Monty Python Circus, and uh, it is crude, it is rude, and many people who watch it in this country think it's just British humor. It's not British humor only, it is, it is a statement of what they believe. And it talks about birth, and marriage, and life, and sexual relationships, and it talks about death. And the whole purpose of the movie, which in many ways is very funny, is to teach the idea that we're simply here by chance and that there's no meaning to life at all. And the final scene as the credits run up the screen is John Cleese sitting there and he says, now what's the point of the movie? Um, mm, what's the point? Well, I don't know. That's it. I don't know. The meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? One of the famous scenes, which is set to a very catchy little tune, is that there is a British lady in a London kitchen. She's got her hair in curlers, and uh, she's wondering about the meaning of life. And she goes to the refrigerator, which is an old type of refrigerator, and she opens the refrigerator, and a man gets out. And he says, would you like to come with me on a visit through the universe? She says, yes, why not? Do you want to know the meaning of life? Well, if possible. So he puts out his arm and they step out the window and they walk up past the Milky Way system and they sing, la 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 little better than that, not much better. And they have this catchy little tune and after they've looked at the universe, the the man who is taking her on the visit through the universe, he says, over there you've got the Pleiades, over here you've got your Orion, and they talk about it all, and when he comes back, and just before he, he comes through the window, and he lets the lady off, and he says, well, goodbye for now, she says, what's the meaning of life, he says, and he swears, and he says, I haven't got any idea, there's no meaning. People look at this and they say, how funny. No, it's not funny at all. It's the view that is held by most intellectuals. It is the view that is held by most evolutionists, that there's no meaning to life, that you are simply the product of time plus matter plus chance. I believe, contrary to this viewpoint, that there's purpose to living. I believe that the Bible is based upon verifiable facts. I do not believe, as many people believe, in faith in faith. You say to people, do you have faith? Yeah, I have faith. Why do you have faith? Well, that's what faith is. Faith is believing when there's no reason to believe. That's not faith, that's nonsense. I've met with large numbers of Christians and I say, why do you believe? They say, well, I have no reason to believe. That's why I have faith. My friend, if you have no reason to believe, then you are a very, very foolish person. I do not believe in the concept of faith in faith. I believe in having faith in the facts. And I believe that there are certain facts that can be shown to be reliable. The fact of Christ. I don't believe that he was simply a figment of the imagination. 
I don't have faith in a Christ who did not exist. I have a faith in a Christ who is more real than I am. A Christ who lived and a Christ who died, who had real blood, and a Christ who was raised from the dead, and a Christ who is living today, and who said, I'm going to come again. Amen. Therefore, if you believe in this, you cannot believe in the nonsense that is taught in the Monty Python Circus movie, The Meaning of Life. You can believe, yes, there is meaning in life, and I came from God, and one day I shall go to be with God. There is an afterlife, and there is a heaven. In fact, the Bible says there are three heavens. I'd like you to take your Bible today and turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. And I'm reading from the New International Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 2. And the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven whether it was in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows he's talking about himself and the Apostle Paul says I was caught up to the third heaven when the Bible talks about the third heaven it obviously means that there is a first heaven and there is a second heaven therefore very briefly let's think about the three heavens the first heaven I'm told in the book of Revelation chapter 19 is the atmospheric heaven where the birds fly. When the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, it's not talking about the universe, it is talking about the swaddling cloth of air around this earth. The second heaven is a glorious and wonderful and mysterious heaven. At Psalm 19 verses 1 to 4, please turn to the words of David. Psalm 19 and verses 1 to 4. I want you to notice these words and I'm glad you're in church today. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Now my friend, this obviously, these verses are talking about the stellar heavens. I love the study of the stars. I love to read of the latest discoveries from the Hubble Space Telescope. I'm just staggered and amazed and I'm thrilled. Uh, I, I get Newsweek Time and USA, the galaxies, how the universe began, how it might end. I can just read this and I love this and I find it so interesting did you know they've discovered out there in space objects that are called quasars and a quasar now this is hard you can't understand this even though you're very intelligent a quasar has the light of a thousand galaxies now please would you think about that just for a minute you think of our galaxy, the Milky Way system. It is made up of trillions of stars, is the Milky Way system. Multiply that by a thousand times, and that is the capacity of one quasar, one star. They've just discovered 
the Hubble Space Telescope discovered just recently a star that is so big it is bigger than our solar system. Not just what's in the solar system, but if you were to take the sun and stretch it out to Mars and Venus and Jupiter and the Earth and out to Pluto, then my friend, that could go inside that sun. They've just made some remarkable, wonderful, mind-boggling, and I may not talk about the third heaven, I just may stay on astronomy today. They've, they've just vindicated in a remarkable way the theory of relativity. As you all know and understand, time is relative. Time is not something which goes from here to here. They've discovered that space and bodies influence time. And so where time travels past a very big object out there in space, the time suffers a warp. And it's different. And of course, as everybody knows today, if an object travels at the speed of light, which is around 186,000 miles a second, then there is no such thing as time. Time stops. And when astronomers look through the Hubble telescope, they're not seeing the universe as it is today, but as it was billions of years ago. And if you can get a camera in here, here you can see universes or galaxies actually being made. These great clouds of gas are trillions of miles high. And now they can do this. Now, now, pardon me if I get excited, but I'll get on to the third heaven in a minute. But I love this. As you see the sun, you don't see it as it is now, you see it as it was when? Eight minutes ago. When you see Alpha Centauri, you don't see it as it is now. You see it as it was some years ago. As you look at other island galaxies, you don't see them as they are today, but you see them as they were millions and billions of years ago. And so when you have this great telescope, you're looking back into time. And they're looking back now 10 billion years. And they know, we know the universe is at least 12 billion or 14 billion years old. That's 12,000, 14,000 million years old. And, tell, and the great Hubble telescope is looking back now towards the Big Bang when the creation took place. It can't reach the Big Bang, but the day is going to come in five years when they're going to have a telescope that you can look through and you can see creation. You say, that's impossible. It happened 14 billion years ago. That's where, where the telescope is looking. And they can reach now with the Hubble telescope to 300,000 years. That's nothing. 300,000 years after the moment of creation. And they can see galaxies completely different to the Milky Way system. They can see the galaxies being formed. <laughs> I get some great letters. I get some funny letters. 
I got a letter from a dear little old lady in Texas. She thought I must have been a terrible heretic. She said, Pastor Carter, what are you talking about this Big Bang for? God don't need no Big Bang. <laughs> Just leave God's business to him, I tell you, friend. Hey, remember the Ethiopians who said, hey, we couldn't believe this. This little hut that runs up and down, we don't understand it, therefore we don't believe it. I want to tell you, my friend, how great is our God. Did you know there's an article in here that says, Are we alone looking at young stars in Orion, the Hunter constellation? The telescope has spied platters of swirling dust called protoplanetary disks. Their names reflect their destiny. These disks, astronomers believe, will eventually break into distinct clumps of matter orbiting the star. We call these clumps of matter planets. Our sun is probably not alone in having a retinue. To the contrary, Hubble suggests that it is a rare star that does not eventually have planets, which makes the odds that we are not alone in the universe even shorter. My friend, there are millions, there are billions, there are trillions, there are zillions of stars, and there are zillions of planets, and there is a great God who made them all. Amen. He's in charge of it all, my friend. He is the great eternal creator God, and he made this amazing universe, and there is a purpose to life, and there is a purpose to existence. After the French Revolution, Napoleon Bonaparte was talking to some of his sailors, some of his generals too. They were looking at the stars. They were too big to believe in God. And they were looking at the stars one night as the ship was going along the Mediterranean. And uh, they were debating why they didn't believe in God. And one of them called out to Napoleon, Sir, Sire, what do you think? Who made the star? Where did the stars? Do you believe in God? And Napoleon threw back his arms, gestured to the heavens, and he said, Gentlemen, if there is no God, tell me, please, who made the stars? That is my question to you. If there is no God, please tell me who made the stars. Come now to 2 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, where it talks about the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Verse 4 says, was caught up to where? Say it out loud. Say it loud. He was caught up to paradise. Listen, my friend. Somewhere out there, I don't know, nobody knows. But somewhere out there in the second heavens, among those zillions of stars, there is the command center of the universe where the throne of God is. And it has a name. It's not called planet Earth. It is called paradise. It's the Father's house. And that's where Jesus went. Jesus was the man from outer space. Jesus was the God who made the cosmos. And Jesus came down to this earth. And after he'd done what was necessary to secure our salvation, 
Jesus went back to the Father's house. Take your Bible and turn to John 14, verses 1 to 3. You can read it with me too. John 14, verses 1 to 3. And I don't care what translation you've got, and I get tired of arguments over the various translations. What you need to do is use whatever translation you've got, and God will speak to you through it. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus said, now please, I'm reading it in the NIV, read it with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Come on church, start again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house so many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You think of this. He said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the amazing truth is that the Son of God traveled through space and got to the Father's house and Jesus did not travel at the speed of light. Because if you travel at the speed of light to cross the universe, it's not going to take years, it's going to take billions of years to get across. Just to go across the Milky Way system takes a hundred thousand years. Just the Milky Way system. Jesus, my friend, traveled faster than the speed of light, and they say that's physically impossible, but God, my friend, is bigger than the impossible. And he said, I'm going to go to my father's house. He went to paradise, and he said, I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. And he said, after I've prepared a place for you, I am going to come again. And the question I wonder today, what is Christ doing in paradise? What sort of place is he preparing? Come to Hebrews 11. Hebrews, are you feeling well today? Is everybody of good courage? Are you glad you're here in church? Are you planning to go to heaven? Mm. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now you may say this is a fairy story. Don't you talk to me about fairy stories when you watch stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark and um, The Hidden World or The Lost World. They're fairy stories. But the Bible says Jesus went to the command center of the universe and he's preparing a city. A number of years ago, a movie came out called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And it shows this great spacecraft and it comes down upon the earth. And uh, the people at NASA or wherever they are, they're communicating with the beings inside this with music. Da, 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 da. And then all these funny little creatures get out and walk around. But the spacecraft also lets go a heap of 
earthlings who had been taken for a celestial journey. But here is this great thing and it fills up the sky. So here we got a spacecraft from outer space and it comes down upon this earth and people say, oh yeah, we could believe that. Well, I want you to believe something else. The Bible says, not a little spacecraft, but a space city called the New Jerusalem. Say amen. amen. It's going to come down, it's going to come past the Pleiades, it's going to come down past the Rhine, and it's going to come down straight upon this earth. Isn't that something? Now come over here to where are my glasses, thank you. When I get there, I won't need these glasses either. Won't even need any glasses. Now Revelation 21 verse 2, dear hearts. Revelation 21, aren't you excited about this today? Yes, well get excited, sound like it. Revelation 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I want you to notice verses 10 to 14, I think it's Revelation 21, verses 10 to 14, that talks a little bit about the city of the stars. And he carried me out away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very, of, of a very precious jewel. Like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and uh, with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The Bible says that the great city is going to come down. I'm looking forward. I'm planning to see the city, aren't you, Alamitico? And the Bible says it's not going to come down upon this scruffy, dirty old world. The Bible says this earth, by the power of the almighty creator, God is going to be made over again. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, we look for new heavens and a new earth. And if you look at Revelation 21 and verse 1, it talks about the day when God is going to make everything new. Please turn to the text. Revelation, don't just look at me, turn to the text. <laughs> Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a, what sort of heaven? What sort of heaven? Not a new one, but a new one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And the sea in the Bible is used as an expression of separation. There is going to be no separation in this beautiful new earth. And so God's great city is going to come down upon a brand new world. And God's people are going to inherit not the beautiful isle of somewhere. They're not going to sit on rosy tinted clouds strumming harps or anything like this. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you can read that in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Listen, it's going to be 
a beautiful new world, no sin, no disease, no suffering, no separation, no loneliness, no pain, no conflict, no death, but life, eternal life, love, joy, happiness, endless. And we will know our loved ones there. I want you to come to Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Some of you didn't sound as enthusiastic as I wanted. We will know our loved ones there. Yeah, that's good. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The Bible says that the people who live in this wonderful new world are going to get bodies like Christ. Now, what was his body like? Well, we're going to look at that, Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 24, and turn to the text, dear hearts, and gentle people. And verse 36, and uh, onwards. Verse 36 and onwards. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amaze, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus, my friends, had a real, real body. And Jesus could eat fish. And Jesus after the resurrection, ate some fish. And he said, in the kingdom of God, I'm going to sit down with you and drink wine. So Jesus, after the resurrection with his new body, was a real person of flesh and bones. And the people who inherit this brand new world are going to be real people with real bodies. They will not be disembodied spirits strumming harps on a rosy tinted cloud. Do you remember how Mary recognized Jesus? She couldn't see him. Because, just hold that for a moment. She couldn't see him because she was crying. Often we can't see the Lord because of our tears. But he said to her, she thought he was the gardener. And then he said to her, in the same old-fashioned way, he said, Mary. And she said, Master. She knew him by his voice. I have news for you. You're going to be you. You're going. Not many amens to that, are you? You thought you are going to be an angel. Uh-huh. You're going to be you, and I'm going to be me. And all, thank you. I'm going to be me. 
Thank you. I thought I just worked it up a bit better for my self-esteem. But all imperfections will be gone. You will be a new, beautiful, useful, ageless you, full of vitality. <laughs> you know the man who couldn't say his bees? Almatico tells the story, and the man couldn't say his bees. He said, if you drink this certain drink, you will have lots of whim, wigger, and vitality. Whim, wigger, and vitality. In the kingdom of God, we're going to have vim, vigor, and vitality, and we'll never come to the end. And we will forget the tragedies of this life, my friend. I want you to come to Isaiah 65, verse 17. <coughs> Isaiah 65 and uh, verse 17. The Bible says, God says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former will, be not, will, will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. I'll read it again. Behold, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Maybe on the resurrection morning, when you wake up, you're going to look around for a loved one, and the loved one won't be there because he chose not to be there. And the tears will start to come. But the Bible says, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. I think there are going to be tears. I think there's going to be crying in the resurrection morning. And people look around and they say, He's not there. But God will wipe away the tears. And God will wipe away the memory. Will babies grow up? Yes, they will. So will you. So will I. Because we're going to grow up to what we should have been. We're going to grow up to what man and woman was in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in Revelation 22 that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's a work of restoration that will go on in heaven. Would you notice, come over here to Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will see him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So there's going to be a work of restoration. Can I tell you what I'm planning on having? And I think the Lord's going to give this to me. I think he will. My dream home... I'm going to have a nice white stone house on top of a big hill with lots and lots of land. If you want to live near me, I'm telling you now, 
It's going to be a little difficult because I'm going to have a big acreage. That house is going to have fireplaces. Well, you say you won't need them. Well, that's another reason I'm going to have them because I like to have a fireplace. I'm going to work on landscaping the yard. I'm not very practical, but I know how to pour concrete. I'm good on concrete. So I'm going to do a little concrete, concreting. I'm going to have a great garden with all types of trees, particularly banana trees and some mango trees. And I'm going to have a big lake and maybe do some water skiing. You say, people won't do that in heaven. How do you know? Have you been there? How do you know? And I'm going to have lots of easy chairs. And with Dr. Billy Graham, I'm going to lie down and have a sleep for a million years to start it off. My mum and dad, well, I won't need it, folks. My mum and dad are going to come and visit me. They're going to come and visit me. I'm going to have a few Siberian tigers. Yeah, no ordinary little pussycats. I want the biggest and the best I can get. And I'm going to have a bunch of koala bears. And I'm going to have a kangaroo or two on the front lawn. And on Sabbath, I'm going to drive to the city. You say you won't need to drive. How do you know? You say, well, you're going to have wings. Come on. Wings are symbolic. Do you really believe that angels need wings to flap through space when there's no air there? Wings only work where there's air. So on Sabbath, I'm going to drive to the city. Honk, honk. Automatic. I'm going to go to church. And Alice, I'm going to watch Bob Stone play the double bass in the choir. And I'm glad you're back at church. And I'm going to come up to Bob and I'm going to ask him, how do you do? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go there every Sabbath because I'm told in Isaiah 66, 22 and 23, that the redeemed are going to keep the Sabbath. Did you hear that? It says that in Isaiah 66, 22 and 23, that the redeemed are going to keep the Sabbath. I reckon if people are planning on getting to heaven, they better start keeping the Sabbath now. So I'm going to go to church on the Sabbath, and every thousand years or two, I just may take a church sermon. And on vacation, on vacation, people say you don't need a vacation. How do you know? You haven't been working. On vacation, I'm going to visit distant galaxies. And I'm going to visit worlds that never saw sin or sorrow or death. And I have a question for you today. Will you be my neighbor? Will you come? Just live a little down the road and be my neighbor. And I'm going to meet Jesus there. I'm going to meet him because the Bible says we will see his face. And I'm going to thank him. I'm going to thank him for his mercy. And I'm going to thank him for his love. And I'm going to meet Adam. And I'm going to meet Moses. And Elijah, who's been there for a long time. And Isaiah, and John, and Peter, and Paul, and John Wesley, and Martin Luther, and James White, and Alan White. I'm going to meet them all. 
and I want to meet you there. And the good thing is, when I read my Bible, I discover that Jesus, my Lord, wants me there. Would you come to John 17, please? John chapter 17, thank you for repeating that text after me, Mary. I got great ears. John chapter 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 17, and verse 20 and 21. John 17, verse 20. You ready? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see all my glory, the glory you have given me before you loved me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus, my Lord, prayed that I might be there. He died to make it possible for me to go there. I can't get past the text that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't get past that text. For God so loved me, he loved you, that he gave his life so that you and I will not perish but have everlasting life. Some years ago, we ran a crusade in Jamaica, in Kingston, Jamaica, and we received a vice, regal invitation to go and visit with the Governor General. And so we went to the Governor General's mansion, and the Governor General entertained us with royal extravagance, and then showed us around Government House. He was a gracious gentleman. It's a wonderful thing when the king invites you to come or the queen invites you to come. I want to show you an invitation that you've got today. Would you look at Revelation 19 and verse 6? An invitation that you've got today. Verse 6 and onwards. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And then verse 9 says, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. I want to give today to every person watching on television and to you in this church a very special invitation. Here it is. I want you to imagine today you've received this in the mail. The King of Heaven, God the Father Almighty, invites Fernando, Beverly, Helen, Norman, Susan, and I could go through the whole church. The King of Heaven, God the Father Almighty, invites your name to be present for the marriage supper of his only begotten Son in the Palace of the Stars, 7th Avenue, the New Jerusalem. 
Your place at the banquet table is reserved. R-S-V-P. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? I would say today, by the grace of God, I'm coming.